Welcome to the Association Tech Insider Podcast, presented by the ASAE Technology Professionals Advisory Council, where you get to hear unfiltered conversations about associations and their technology for membership associations by association members. Welcome, everybody, to today's edition of Association Tech Insider Podcast, brought to you by the ASAE Technology Professionals Advisory Council, aka TPEC. I've got three incredible guests with us today, and we've been having some conversations around high-performance teams and the dynamics of certain people working well together and certain people not working well together, and we started to talk about a a, a podcast. So I'll be quiet for a second, and I'll ask the three panelists or guests to introduce themselves. Luis, why don't you go first? All right. Thank you, Carlos. My name is Luis Castro. I'm an Agile consultant working with Intellios. Based in Costa Rica, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Luis. Juan? Hey, Carlos. Yeah, Juan Sanchez. I'm the CIO at Intellios, and I work with Luis. Tori. Hi, everyone. I'm Tori Miller-Lou. I'm the president and CEO of the Association for Intelligent Information Management. Thank you to all three of you for joining us. Again, this is an unorthodox conversation. I feel like everybody thinks about this. I'd like to bring that conversation to the forefront. Um, So, Tori, I'll start with you. How do you define, we're talking about a high-performance team. How do you define a high-performance team? What does that look like for you? Uh, I would probably define it by hopefully the outcomes that you're striving for, which I think everyone will say, well, is it a productive team? Is it actually, are they actually achieving their goals, their key performance indicators, their objectives and key results, whichever system you're using for measuring team success? I think that's paramount. But I, equally important to me is actually, is is the team resilient? Because whatever field you're in, and especially if you're in IT, you are going to face crises. You are going to face projects that go off the rails. You are going to face data breaches. And I really want to know, is the team that I'm managing and leading, are they going to survive that? Are, are they going, is their morale going to survive? Are we able to adapt and be agile and fix the solution collaboratively together? Or uh, are we going to completely self-implode the moment we're faced with stress? And to me, that's kind of the hallmark. Like, it's great if you can swim and always be productive, but can you actually be productive during a, a burning fire? Thanks, Tori. Um, so, Juan, I'd like to ask a follow-up question if I can. So, these high-performance teams don't build themselves, right? So, what are some of the things that, as a, a technology leader, that you're looking at uh, to create those high-performance teams? And I'm referring to foundational processes. Can you touch on that? Yeah, sure, Carlos. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a process per se, but I, so I'll take a, a page from from my recent history, and it's the the helping people see what they know and what they don't know and through that you get into a space of like it's a it's a kind of confidence building right so that they understand their context inside the organization both within themselves as a team how they relate to other teams in our case we're organized kind of very standard division department kind of structures but so within the division how do they relate interrelate with each other and then how do they interrelate with the rest of the organization and how can they blend in and i think for me what i saw anyway originally was helping the team build that confidence in themselves which then let them unlock to to go work with others in the organization more successfully 
Thank you. And Luis, uh, touching on that topic of confidence and building that confidence, um, I think in our last conversation, you talked about trust. So can you, how do you build that confidence? Where does trust factor into this equation? That's a great question. I would say that it begins with the environment that we're creating as an org. The fact that people feel comfortable enough to reach out to their leader and say like, hey, maybe what we're doing is not working or maybe we're not going in the right direction. Having that kind of trust within the team will take them to the next level and for sure unlock different abilities and, and knowledge that they may even have. And who's responsible, follow up question, who's responsible for building that trust? How do you go about creating that trust? That's a two-way street. Uh, there, there, there needs to be an environment created by leadership to make that happen. But as well, they, there needs to be some sort of ownership from your side when you're part of the team, when you're doing the job to build that trust. You need to be, you need to be aware of that. You need to be interested in building that. If there is no interested, like interest in creating that trust, it's very difficult to have for it to happen. Thank you. And and Tori, another question kind of in the same vein. So thinking about that trust, Tori, uh, if we can, going back to Luis's comment, again, are you, is the team, the high performance team in your perspective, does it work well um, if they have free reign, not free reign, but they're empowered to do things on their own? Or does that high performance team work well if they are given particular tasks? And so I don't know if you can differentiate or distinguish the two of them. So it's a question around autonomy? Yes. Hmm. So generally, I, whether I'm at a small organization or a large organization, I like to create an environment where people feel empowered to act independently and be autonomous. Uh, I think you are by and large more productive in that in instance. But I think the way that you successfully create autonomy and not silos is establishing the characteristics or criteria you're looking for for those individual contributors, like Luis was saying. So in my book, like I love how Luis framed it as the individual contributor needs to be interested in building that trust. And I, I think you establish norms or behaviors and values that help them do that, that create this expectation of you as an individual in this organization are responsible for being responsive when people ask you for help. You should respond to them. Your responses should be credible. If you don't know the answer to something, you should feel safe to admit that and find the answer. Your actions and uh, work should always be ethical and you should always treat others with respect. Like, I mean, you have to come up with like the values that are pertinent and relevant to your own organization, but I think that's how you facilitate autonomy. It's not enough to just simply say, hey, we trust you to go off and do this on your own. You have to give people a framework for which to ask. So I'm not really interested in micromanaging and telling someone, hey, this is specifically how you have to carry this out unless it has to do with risk or compliance. I think it's more important to say, here's a problem. I want you to find a solution, but here are my expectations. Don't bullshit mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, be ethical in all actions and behaviors. Can I make a comment? I love this line. So, Tori, this idea, and it's funny, I never really thought about this. I, I just jotted it down. This dichotomy between autonomy and silos, right? Because, like, you could totally say, oh, we're, we're totally autonomous, also a silo, and yeah. not, <laughs> not great, right? And so, like, and so maybe there's something there, right, to explore is like what, what differentiates 
a silo being isolated, right? So it's isolation versus autonomy, because I guess within that silo, you could have a lot of micromanagement and not a lot of context and so not super effective. But I think the other thing I was thinking about too is, you know, I'm trying to think of like actual cases, right, from real world where, so I think we can agree that the trust is that like foundational layer, right? Like, okay, so we all kind of believe in each other's capabilities and our knowledge and our domains, and we can we can uh, rely uh, on each other when we have a question, we're going to get an, an honest and, and transparent answer and all of, all of this kind of stuff. And so I've had situations, for example, where let's see our, you know, our, our development engineering team, I mean, I at least can say otherwise, but I believe they're a pretty autonomous team. But there have been cases where we've talked about particular topics in terms of, okay, you know, yeah, so Tori, you mentioned OKRs, right? So we're an OKR shop, that's no secret. And so we're thinking about some OKRs and some things. And then I had a dialogue with our, our solution architect, and the conversation was about whether or not we should do this work that was security related and in, in light of some other things that were happening. And so it was like, ah, is it worth doing it? Is it not worth doing it? And it was one of those moments in which I I, I felt comfortable and and the solution architect, she felt comfortable receiving it, was like, this is a moment where I have to tell you that this is the thing we're going to do, right? Because, and then, and then I had a narrative behind it, right? But I think for me, that's a really important moment where they were like, ah, okay, yeah, so I get it. And I, what, and why? Because I was bringing my experience, right, in the particular domain. And maybe the team wasn't thinking about it in that angle. But I was like, that was important for me enough to say, we've got to do this. And the way I said it was basically, write me the press release or write me the headline, right? That, that old school technique, write me the headline if something happens and we haven't done this, but we know about it. But but that moment for a person to be able to receive that and it not sound like micromanagement, but it's more like steering, right? We're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I get it. I think, and I think that, that, that that's a, a good evidence of like that good performance team and the trust that's there. Just to follow up real quick, if I can. So are you essentially setting the vision and saying, here's here's what I want to achieve, the end game, and then you're letting the autonomy, then being autonomous to you'll solve yeah. that or get there? Yeah. So I think it was slightly more directive than usual because it was okay. like, this is like, so as a body of work, this is the body of work we're going to do. Like, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to debate that anymore, right? Like, we're going to do this now. How you guys execute and how you prioritize the execution of that that's on you guys. Like that's you guys figure that out. I'm I'm not really that's not my domain because I don't know how you guys are working and the best way to to get that done. Just know that right the the objective we're we're headed to is this, and it has to be that because of these other ancillary things. Luis, I think you wanted to jump in there. Yeah. So I got to be honest. I have a, a a little bit of an issue with the word autonomy, oh. and I'm gonna explain why. <laughs> um, when we talk about autonomy, it actually it's like self, like you're self-governing your like everything you do, right? You're doing everything at by yourself, right? That that's the concept of it. The problem with that is that sometimes, and that is what creates silos, communication will stop. If you are just kind of leading yourself to whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, that's fine. But when you're autonomous, sometimes you kind of enclose yourself. I like more the, the term of self-managing team rather than an autonomous team. Because when you're talking about autonomy, you basically can say, hey, whatever you're saying does not apply to me because I am 
an independent <laughs> republic within the organization, right? <laughs> Instead, when you're talking about self-managing teams, those are teams that are actually self-sufficient, that they know what they need to do, they know how they need to do it. Nobody's telling them exactly how and what they need to do, but they know what the objective is. They know what they need to do. For me, there is a big difference there. Because when we talk about autonomous teams, and I've seen it happening, they alienate themselves from, from the rest of the organization because we are autonomous, right? We are independent. Mm -hmm. And that's so, what leads to the term silo, like what we were saying, right? Like maybe. Correct. Yeah. So should we say empowering the teams? Or I mean, you mentioned self-managing, right? But just as Juan mentioned, right, there's got to be some sort of vision to say, here's what we want to accomplish. And then what I was referring to is the team kind of feels empowered, you know, to to carry out that vision of Juan's to, and not to say like I'm going to do whatever I want to. I'm self-governing, uh, but but I do see how you know that that environment can be created if you continue to use that word of autonomous. Uh, Tori, did you want to speak on that? Yeah. Well, I was thinking I, I like the I like the idea of empowerment and also self-managing, but I think what was interesting about Juan's example is you've created an environment where, for the most part, you can kind of share, okay, this is the problem we're trying to solve. I'm not going to paint the solution for you. You paint that yourselves, or we'll collaboratively paint this solution together. But the instance you gave, Juan, I think was really interesting and lends itself to that definition of self-managing, because you had an issue where you needed others to express and exhibit a willingness to trust you and relinquish some control because in that moment you had an important security concern and you need to simply say like look we're just going to do this like no painting i don't you don't need to paint the solution with me this is the solution we just have to do this and i i, I like that to me that's kind of goes along with the definition of self-managing for the most part the team is self-managing but they have the trust to relinquish control when it's appropriate if Juan, a CIO, comes in and says, we have a major security issue, we're going to have to focus on this. Yeah. They trusted you to do that. Yeah, right. Well, right. And I think that's that's the point, right, is that 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 didn't show up that day. Right. That's that's years yeah. of working together and yeah. not even and not. And I'm not talking because oddly, we're a little unusual in that we don't have a team of people that have been at the organization for 15 years. Right. So most of the people on our team are relatively relatively short time people so but it's still three years four years of time of getting to getting into the rhythm and the cadence together and, and what what that's going to look like and so when those moments show up that's all the benefit right in, in that in that moment we're not we're not having an argument it doesn't feel like i'm you know the uh, those that know me know that i don't like hierarchies so like it doesn't feel that way it's just a matter of this is the domain i know about and it's like and, and here's why and it's important and we can agree okay cool let's let's go do that and and trust is 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 earned and it's not given. So you mentioned three to four years. Does it take that amount of time to build that trust? I mean, are there certain things that these teams have to do? They have to be working on a project in the trenches, so to speak, to be able to build that relationship and build that trust. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if we can quantify the time aspect of it, but are, are there certain things that the team should be doing? to foster that trust. I'll do a quick answer and I'm going to pitch this to Luis because this, I think this is his area of expertise. <laughs> uh, Multitasking over here. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if there is a shortcut. Right, so you're right, Carlos. I don't know if you can put a time. There's no defined time, right? Like on year four, trust. So no, 
but but there are probably ways to get to trust quicker. I mean, and that's all through behavior and demonstration, right? It's just showing up a certain way. There's some of it ceremonial, right? Like, do you, do you have valid and good one-on-ones? Is the feedback there that, that sort of loops? But but yeah, no, there, I don't have an answer to how long does it take. Please. All right. So <laughs> this is an interesting topic because the right answer it is it depends. Uh, for example, with Intellios, it's funny because I'm going to turn two years working with them in one month. I, I haven't been with them for that long. And when I joined the team, they already had the team kind of built. The entire structure was already there. They were doing a very prescriptive approach of Scrum, which was creating a lot of frustration and a lot of, of let's say, lagging uh, from within the team. And basically what we did during the first, during 2022, that was the first time that we started working together, was kind of mapping everything that was happening with the team, every struggle that they were having, so that we can actually start working on them and create an environment with where they could actually come to either Juan or me or whoever and say, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's kind of affecting us. We needed to change. And we, the, the 2023 has been the year where we kind of applied a lot of the changes. We mature the team on those changes. And it's interesting because the last year, I, I think it's been the most productive <laughs> year that the team has had. And it's been a year of process. It's been a year of changing things. It's been a year of learning how to do things in a different way. At the same time, we are kind of owning our processes internally and adapt, adapting them to what we need as a team. So in our case, it's been a two-year process in a month, but it, it like the first year was basically of just getting to know each other, creating that trust, making sure that they felt heard, that they could add value, that they could be a part of the conversation instead of just receiving the instructions of what they needed to do. That was the entire first year. The entire second year was applying that. All the changes that you brought to the table, all the challenges that you were having, okay, let's address them, let's work on them, and let's continue with them. Right now, actually, the focus has been shifting a little bit from the IT team <laughs> towards the rest of the organization, right? Because we did such an impact in the org that it was funny to see the switch on the on how they were addressing to us. At the beginning, when I joined, IT was a problem. Every single problem was related to IT. <laughs> At the end of last year, it was like, what the hell are you guys doing? How can we get there? Yeah. There's, yeah, some, there's some, sorry, I just want to jump in really quick because this is, Carlos, I'm going to put a pin in this. This is another good podcast topic. Okay. What Luis just described is best practices around consulting. And I feel like associations can learn a lot from consultants because most consultants, they can't afford to like wait a year to build trust. They, they need to establish that trust really in the first like 30 days because they're on billable time. They have an assigned deadline. So the fact that like you use the word, they felt heard, they were listened to. I, I think that's a two-way street. Like how do... How do I, as a leader, make onboarding more consultative? How do I listen more to a new team member that's joining? Or how does that team member, how do I empower them to be basically be a consultant? Like in your first 90 days, your job is to listen, to find opportunities to improve processes and activities, 
And, you know, I want to, one of the things that I do is at the 90 day mark, I like to sit down with new employees before I feel like they've been fully indoctrinated. And I like to get like, what would you change before, before you like fully like become a, you know, an AIM zombie, like what would you change? So yeah, sorry, that was kind of rambling, but I, I think we should learn from consultants. We should become consultants and learn best practices around that. Yeah, you know, Tori, what's funny is that sort of, so I've been in Intellios this year will be my fifth year. And it was almost like the first half was I was a technology consultant, right? Because there was some technology, some tech debt, and there was some org debt within the department, the division. So that was like the acceleration of like, okay, we're not going to have we're not going to have a server crash every week or we're not going to have a process take, you know, 72 hours to run. Let's work on those kinds of real technical consulting things. And then once that got sort of covered, there was a, a beginning of an overlap. Let's also find a way to work better together. Right. Because I remember for me personally, one of the, there was two issues that, that I identified. And I think those of us in technology who lead technology teams, I hope, can relate to these two stories. One is if IT is the problem, okay, so root causes of that, identify them. <laughs> what? How does that show up in people? I've told this story a bunch of times, but literally one of the things was, hey, uh, I saw somebody on our team like duck into an, this is when we were in the office, duck into an office when they saw somebody coming down the hallway because they were like, I can't deal with this right now, right? <laughs> and and I, and I saw that and I was like, that's funny. So I was like, oh, okay, so this is a thing we got to lean into, right? Which is like, we like, here's, so back to my original uh, point of confidence is like, we have to build confidence so that when a person's coming down our way, it's not going to become a disaster, right? So because we're confident in how we're doing what we're doing and, and how we relate to the organization. The other part was tribalism within departments technology-wise, right? It was like infrastructure and development or data and development or whatever it might be, right? And it's like, what, and then it was like, the first thing was like, none of this works unless all of it works. And so beginning to build that a little bit over time. And then almost by accident, our story is almost by accident is how we show up, how Luis shows up in the organization. <laughs> and he sits me down and he says, dude, all of these things are broken too, <laughs> right? And I said, oh, okay. And so you have to check your ego at the door a little bit and be like, what does this kid know? He didn't know anything, <laughs> but then, but then it turns out he's a Jedi and you're like, oh, he knows a lot. So it was like, and, and so then, then it was like opening up other people to also accept that change. But I think all of that was building over that time, those first two and a half years or so of like a person like Lee showing up and still, and still being open to, boy, you just put us through prescriptive scrum and that sucked. Now you're going to tell us it's going to be a different thing, but they were cool with it. And it, I mean, I think the dividends are there. Yeah, I, I just real quick, I want to touch on something, the confidence in the IT team. And we'd like to think that IT departments everywhere are killing it, but that's probably not the case. There's probably a lack of trust there between different departments and the IT team. So you've got to be able to solve those problems, get out of that hole that you're in, build that confidence. And then if you see a colleague walking down the hall, you don't duck and hide, right? Because it's probably going to be bad. Right. So, and, and, it's, and, and, and we know that it's confidence isn't arrogance, right? Because I've been, I yeah. am guilty of it when I was younger, probably still a little today, but <laughs> when I was younger, I will, I know I was that arrogant IT person, right? Because I was like, the internet was new and I knew all the things about making a web page, right? And so like you showed up at an organization and it was like, oh, you know, the usual stories like, oh, everybody's dumb. 
Like, no, like it's not that that's not that's not the same as confidence. So I think that's an important distinction. I think there's that servant leadership thing shows up there, too, which is like teaching the team that in some ways we are servant leaders to the organization. I did also yeah, want to there, touch. there's some there's a need there too to I think map orthodox beliefs around IT. So orthodox beliefs being those rather toxic assumptions that often pose obstacles to progress, right? So like you guys just listed a bunch that idea that knows everything or I, I don't know if you guys remember hearing this, but when I first started in IT, I heard if you hear nothing from customers, it's a good thing. That's horrible. (laughs) Or even the fact that we call, I I really, this was a pet peeve of mine at my previous organization. I hated that we called our colleagues customers. I felt like it created like a really bad, toxic dynamic. And they're they're our colleagues. Like we are trying to empower them and improve things. They're not our customers. (laughs) Right. Or even worse, the, the whole concept that the only two industries in the world that call the people they serve users are us and drug dealers. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> also, yeah. the Colombian said that, so it's okay. So no user experience. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Isn't it weird if you think about that? It's like, why do we it call is. people users? Yeah, it's it's dehumanizing. Yeah. And, it, and But that's what happens in IT. Like, we perpetuate that cycle because our customers then dehumanize the IT staff. I mean, if anyone who's ever sat on, like, a help desk call you are subject to rage, you are subject to frustration, and people forget that there's a human on the other end of that email or the other end of that call. And so that I think is actually a leadership responsibility, whether it's the CIO or the CEO, to notice those things just like Juan did and figure out like, it's never as simple as saying IT is the problem. There's usually a gray area there where it's IT is the problem, yeah, but also the rest of the organization might be a problem too and how they're treating IT staff. Complex adaptive there's, systems. There's one thing, Tori, that I really like that you mentioned, and is the fact that we sometimes forget that there's a person on the other side. When we're talking about building trust, that is a must. You need to be aware that you are talking to another person. If you want to connect with that person, yeah. you need to be a human being at the end of the day. <laughs> Period. That's it. Be a nice person. We all have our problems. We all have our shitty days. But at the end of the day, we're human as well, right? And if we want to build that trust, we need to create that personal relationship with the other person. Yeah, and I also want to touch on one thing, Tori, that you mentioned, right? The old adage of if the member is not complaining or they're not talking to (laughs) us, then everything is good. I mean, imagine (laughs) if you had that perspective in terms of your internal teams. If nobody's talking to each other, then that means everything is good. That could be further from the, the <laughs> furthest from the truth, right? So that makes no sense. Any of all. your relationships, your marriage, <laughs> yeah, your exactly. relationship yeah. with your kids. There's, if there's no communication. That. It's not a good relationship. If your right. wife is not complaining, you have a lovely marriage, right? Like, <laughs> My wife hasn't <laughs> talked to me in 10 years. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> Sorry. This concludes episode one of our three-part podcast series on building high-performing technology teams. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to the Association Tech Insider podcast presented by the ASAE Technology Professionals Advisory Council. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 